Well, it's good to be with you guys, and uh, it's big news, isn't it? Lots going on, lots of breakthrough, lots of freedom, lots of life, lots of challenges and battles, and um, I've just been thinking this week about authority and uh, the role of authority in our lives. I don't know if I were to ask you how many in the last year have uh, watched a movie for 90 minutes, I imagine every hand would be up, but if I would imagine if I were to ask you how many have thought about your authority for 90 minutes, I imagine it would be less of a popular question to say yes to. Uh, the reality is authority is a huge deal for us, but we rarely, rarely think about it. Um, I, I, authority is, is our a right to command. Uh, power is different. Power is our ability to enforce that command. I remember... I was in Lebanon one time, not long after the war, and uh, witnessing this uh, a motorcyclist going the wrong way down traffic, going the wrong way around the roundabout, and then going the wrong way on the other side of the road up. And the police officer on the roundabout did nothing about it. He just waved everyone as if it was like nothing happened. And I began to realize, I learned a lesson right then, the difference between power and authority. Authority is the right to command. Power is the ability to enforce it. And this police officer had neither. And it was living right there in front of us. And so I just want to talk a little bit about authority. And firstly, though, it's worth saying, many of us probably have missed some lessons about authority because our understanding of authority has been so skewed in our culture. Anyone recognize that? What we've seen and witnessed of authority, there, there are probably four primary lessons. Uh, first thing is this, authority is designed for our blessing and our protection. But many of us, when we think about the word authority, what do you think? You think the word control. Anyone have that response? We think control when we think authority. There was a church near me when I was growing up, not the church I went to, but a different one. And uh, it was, we heard and learned that the leaders had, had given an edict to the church, which was, before you go on holiday, you need to sign it off with the leaders of the church because we want to check how much you're spending and whether it fits in with the church calendar that you're going at the right time. Should we do that here? Is that a good thing? <laughs> I mean, I was 12, and even I knew something stinks in suburbia. This is not healthy. This is not healthy. But many of us have experienced that kind of, instead of protection and blessing that can come from authority, we experience abuse and, and control. The second thing is that authority doesn't imply superiority. Just because someone is in authority does not make them superior. And yet many of us have experienced exactly the opposite. When I was at school, we had prefects. Who had prefects as part of your school? Who was a prefect? This would be interesting. Okay, yeah, let me keep your hands up a minute. I just want to see. Okay, so, <laughs> so uh, Carol, were you a prefect? Did you put your hand up? Come on. So uh, we'll talk about that later. That's an interesting discussion. So, well, of course, in our school, you got three things when you became a prefect. First, you got a little badge, which I think I might still have. I need to pass it down to my kids. I've still got that. Secondly, you got a different tie because we all wore ties, and everyone had the same color apart from the prefects who had a different Of course, you had to pay for it, but you got a new tie, and you wore that. But the third thing you got was a smug, superior attitude. <laughs> It just came with the job. Anyone else observe that? You got the same thing. You just got this. You know, you suddenly began to think differently. You realized that the first years who you used to like and respect were actually scum beneath your feet <laughs> to be dealt with accordingly. I mean, I had experiences with prefects. You'd be trying to get into the, the, the you know, you wanted to see the nurse. You were ill. I mean, you know, literally you could have your arm dropping off, bleeding out, hemorrhaging, and they would say, oh, what's in it for me? You're not coming in. You know, it's that, it's that was that the attitude? Well, they had, and of course, when I became a prefect, 
I became exactly the same. <laughs> That's what you did when you were prefects. That's who you were. But you realize that authority does not imply superiority. Thirdly, authority does imply responsibility and accountable, yet many of us have experienced authority with no accountability. And it's recognizing how unhealthy that is. And then lastly, authority concerns character first and position second. And yet many have witnessed it the other way around, haven't we? It's about position, not character. I remember uh, seeing a scene of a famous Hollywood actress. She was just on screen. She was just as sweet as pie. You know, you'd think butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. You know, she was just so cute and uh, engaging in her characters that she played. And then there was this shot with her uh, caught speeding and the, and the camera had been left on the dashboard of the policeman's car and the whole thing was filmed, their interaction. And she was, you don't know who I am. You don't know who you're dealing with. She was effing and blinding and calling him this, that and the other. And suddenly the whole world was like, oh my goodness. Her whole persona, her whole thing was a fraud. It wasn't based on that at all. It was based on position, not on character. And of course she lost, in everyone's eyes, authority because of the way that she had been behaving. So authority is so, so key for us. And in times of battle, in times of uh, uh, breakthrough, in times like we're in, I think, well, I'm hoping this will be helpful for us to look at. Understanding our authority, whether we're uh, kids at school or teenagers at school or whether we're adults in the workplace, whether we're students studying, authority has a massive impact on your life. It, it will impact the, where you go with your life, what you will do, how you report through, how you will work with leaders, how you yourself will lead. But more than that, there, are spiritual, there is a spiritual significance to it, which we need to look at as well. So let's look at a story from the Word of God. It's from Matthew 8, and I'm going to read it to us, and then we'll see what God's Word says about understanding walking in authority. Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with the disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake. The waves broke into the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He responded, why are you afraid? You've got so little faith. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They said. Even the wind and the waves obey him. When Jesus gets to the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were oppressed by evil spirits met him. They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one could get through that area. They began screaming, why are you interfering with us? Have you come to torture us? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding. So the spirits begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Jesus said, go. The demons came out of the man and left him, entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. The man was then clothed and in his right mind. The herdsmen fled to a nearby town. They told everyone what happened to the man. The entire town came out to meet Jesus, and they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Two illustrations, really, in one story of Jesus and his handling of authority, and particularly spiritual authority. And the first thing we have to get is to understand that story and our stories fit within a bigger story. You've got to understand where your story fits in the story to really understand authority. And the reality is this, we have a good God. He is a good father who created a good world, a good planet. And he's full of kindness and love. And he created beings to exist in this, this world, this universe. He created uh, the, the physical beings like animals who, you know, the lambs, the chipmunks and the, the 
fluffy bunnies, you know, these kind of things. And my son's favorite, which is a naked mole rat. Don't look it up now on your phone. It, I was going to put this picture up, but it's ugly. Uh, and uh, he created things like fluffy bunnies and naked mole rats and things like this. And then there was a spiritual world. And the scriptures talk about angels and, uh, uh, and other creatures who exist in the spiritual world. And there was one unique creature who spans the two worlds, a creature with both a physical body and a spiritual reality. And that was Carol. Well, and the rest of us as well. It was us. We, mankind, we are both spiritual and physical, and we exist in that reality. But then the spiritual world rebelled against God, began to go a different way, and then we joined them and rebelled against going our own way, living for our own thing and what we wanted. And that, into that world, into that destruction, into that good world came destruction, death, brokenness, things that are awful and terrible like acne and cauliflower and things like, maybe not cauliflower, but things that are different from the way God designed them to be. Brussels sprouts, it's got to be something from the fall in Brussels sprouts, you know. There's something, all right, all right, all right, I'll back up from that. That's, that's not right, that bit, okay. The, the thing went wrong, the world went wrong, it got broken and then into that came Jesus and he came to bring life and restoration and wholeness, which he did through his death and his resurrection. He began, and then he released a whole people. And he said to them in some of his last words, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me, has been given to me, now go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And his commission to us was to go and follow on with what he had started, to go and bring the world into God's good kingdom, back to how it was originally designed to be. And so this story that we see here is set within that story. We see Jesus on a mission. He's not going on a picnic here. He's not just out for a little row with his friends. He is on a mission to bring God's kingdom. He'd started one side of this lake that they were in in the story, the Lake of Galilee. He'd started on the west. He began in Nazareth and Capernaum and other places like that, bringing the kingdom of God, healing the oppressed, setting free those who are far from God, bringing them into life. And now he was going to the east, to uh, the area which was called the Gadarenes. And that, that area, that region, was a region that actually was not quite the same as the West. It was more under Greek rule. And so the fact that they had pigs there shows that they weren't quite Jewish in the same way because Jews don't eat, pig, uh, eat pork in the same way. And so they were crossing over to the other side into a new region, a new place that had never heard the good news that Jesus was bringing. And the reality is this, we go in the same way. We go on the same commission, we go with the same authority. We pack our bags, we take our picnic lunch and we go and then what happens? We hit resistance. We think it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. This is awesome. I found the reason that I was born. And then we go and then we hit resistance. And it becomes difficult. And it becomes tough. And you think, I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. Anyone else had that feeling? Is there any way back? Isn't there a way for a peaceful life? But the reality is we're born into a battle. The reality is that Jesus saw resistance and so will we see resistance. That's not meant to discourage us but to encourage us so that we are not surprised when we meet resistance as we are meeting right now as a community and as we all meet in our individual lives. You know, someone once said this, ships are safe in a harbour but that's, what not, that's not what ships were made for. And that's the truth for each one of us. We're, we're safe. We can want to inoculate ourselves from the pain and the difficulty of this world. But the reality is, that's not what we've been made for. 
We've been born into this battle, and we've been born for this battle. Every ship that's made is made to exist in the, in the place that it is going to live its, uh, serve its time. So if it's made for the lake, it's made to resist the worst that the lake can throw at it. If it's made for the river, it's made to resist the worst that the river can throw at it. If it's made for the ocean, it's made to resist the worst that the ocean can throw at it. It's just the same for you and I. <laughs> You've been born for this. You've been shaped for this. You've got the resources for this. And the enemy wants to swamp you, wants you to feel like the water's coming over. I can't cope. I'm going to drown. But the reality is just like the disciples in that boat. You can if you look to the right place. You can if you look to the right place. You were born for this battle. You were not like something out of place. You were born for war. You were made for war. You were shaped for war. You were equipped for war. There's no way out of this war. There's no, sometimes I want out of this war. I want out of this battle. Anyone take that option? I'll take that ticket. But you know what? Like in the Second World War, when some were crying, peace, peace, and some were saying, look, if we just leave Hitler alone, he'll leave leave us alone. It was people like Churchill who said this. If we don't take the war to him, it's coming to us. We were born in this war. And if we don't take the war to them... The only time the enemy won't be challenging our authority is if we're running away. That's the reality. That's the only time he's not going to be challenging your authority is when you're running away. We were born for this. We were called to this. And that should encourage us. There's a, a story of Smith Wigglesworth, the great healing evangelist. He's out on the road. He's taken, I think it was when he was in Australia, actually. He'd taken the gospel. He saw amazing miracles and breakthrough and healing. And then one night he goes to bed and he's woken at 2 a.m. And there's this uh, spiritual demonic figure at the end of his bed. I know numbers of us have seen similar things. At the end of his bed. And he looks at it and says, oh, it's only you. And rolls over and goes to sleep. <laughs> How do you do that? I think there's something of a a gearing up, isn't there? There's something of a reality of this is not a surprise. This is not a surprise. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not surprised by the battle that we are in. The second thing is this, recognizing how authority is challenged. What does the enemy do in this battle to challenge our authority, our right to do what we're called to do, our right to move and do what God's called us to do? How does he? Firstly, we see it in the story, don't we? The external challenge, the the fear of death, the storm, the things just going wrong around us. Sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're small things. But I'll tell you what, the bigger journey, the bigger challenge is not on the outside, it's where? On the inside. It's the internal challenge. Notice both Jesus and the disciples face the same storm. They face the same external reality, but they have completely different responses. The disciples are like, we're going to die. And Jesus deals with the situation. Why? Because their internal reality was different. They were thinking differently. And so the enemy loves to come with intimidation. He loves to come with this kind of Boom. But the intimidation, very often, the aim of it is to get into our hearts. Here's a, here's a list of things that are, some of the things that come into my head when I'm breaking through into a new place, when I'm wanting to see God's kingdom extended, when I'm uh, stepping out in a way that I haven't stepped. See if you recognize any of these thoughts. Who do you think you are? You'll never make a difference here. They won't listen to you. This will fail. What right have you got? If you do this, you'll upset someone. It's just not worth it. Aren't you tired of trying? They don't even value your work here. If it does does change, it won't last. They don't even want this, and you're the only one who actually wants it. Anyone recognize any of those thoughts? Those are the sort, you could probably write your own list, but they would probably have similar things. It's the internal reality that he challenges. 
But the, the first thing to recognize in this is when authority is challenged, it often isn't obvious. You know, the storm, it's obvious, but it's not obvious that it's got a spiritual cause. You think, well, it's just a storm. But notice that Jesus' response to it is what? He rebukes it. He reb- you, don't rebuke some- you don't rebuke a storm, it's just weather. Why does he rebuke it? Because the physical reality had a spiritual reality behind it. He was not dealing, in his face is the, spirit, is the physical stuff, but he is dealing with something that's higher than that. He's dealing with something that's causing it. He goes beyond it to the spiritual cause. Every battle starts somewhere, but very often the spiritual battle is the greater battle. We get focused on the physical battle, but it's actually the spiritual battle that's the greater battle. Every battle is somewhere. And, and we can't ignore the physical battle. I'm not saying we can ignore it, but we have to keep our eye fixed on the fact actually that very often there's a spiritual battle that's going on. I took a, a little walk this week through when Jesus faced authority challenges. And I went through the Gospels chronologically, looking at all the stories when Jesus was faced with, with authority challenges. And you know what? They, they can be summarized in, in four different ways. Firstly, is the identity challenge. We've already looked at that a little bit. The identity challenge. So Jesus was challenged when he was born. Herod tried to take out all the the babies that were born at the same time. When he was baptized, the enemy straight away comes to him and said, if you are the son of God. There's that identity challenge. And the enemy loves to take us out with with the identity challenge. That's where it starts. When things begin, that's when they're the most fragile. That's when they're the most vulnerable. When you're pushing through, when you're beginning something, when you're a new believer, when you're starting in something, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated, but be aware. Be alert, but not afraid. That often the enemy will come right then and try to tackle and take out your identity. It's not a question of if your authority will be challenged. It's a question of when. It's going to happen. The enemy is not going to roll over and say, oh, yeah, take the planet. Yay, why, why not? Come on, welcome. No, 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 there's no welcome, Matt, for us. We are bringing God's kingdom into this world with love and kindness and service, but we face a battle to do so. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And uh, the kind of the identity thing, the, the classic thing that kind of goes off in, in English football illustrates it. You know, Liverpool, I think this actually happened. Liverpool were playing Grimsby. And as Liverpool come onto the pitch, everyone cheers, massive crowd. And then when Grimsby, the announcers, and then we have Grimsby. And as they come onto the, I don't know if you had a voice like that, but I just. <laughs> and then we have, as they come onto the pitch, the Liverpool fans in their thousands start shouting what? Who are ya? Who are ya? Who are ya? And this chant, you can imagine being there, being the Grimsby fans. Ah, can we run back? You know, it's that reality, isn't it? It's the, it, what is it? What is, who are you? What's it saying? It's saying you are nothing. You are no one. What right do you have to be here? And so often we'll hear that chant in the heavenlies. We'll hear that chant in our schools, in our workplaces. We'll hear that through insidious, snarky comments or even just in our own heads. Who are you? Who are you? Our ability to walk in our God-given authority is often dependent on how we handled the last identity challenge. I'm not going to be able to get that. (laughs) Our ability to handle, our ability to walk in our God-given authority is often dependent on how we handled the last identity challenge. How did you handle it? Did you believe the lie? Did you believe, did did it go in? Who are you? Did it go in? I'm no one, I'm nothing, I've got... Or did you push it back? 
did you push it back and say, I'm a son of the living God, I'm a daughter of the living God, he is the one who has sent me, he said go, I've got all authority now, go. It's that reality, isn't it? If, that, if he can get you to stop right at the beginning, you will stop for good. But if you can win through and get momentum, very often change begins to happen. The second area you can sum up from uh, Jesus' life is when he was setting people free. That was an interesting one. So when he's cleansing the temple and just clearing all the junk out of the temple, when he's healing people, when he's bringing freedom to people, forgiving people, the first time he says to someone, you're forgiven, there's an authority challenge. What right have you got to forgive people? Very often, and we as a community, I believe every believer, but particularly us, what are we called to do? Set people free. (laughs) What are we seeing more than ever at the moment? People being set free. What are we called to do in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, on the streets? We're called to set people free. Don't be surprised then when that gets challenged because the enemy hates people being set free. He wants to see them locked up in bondage forever, living miserable, hopeless lives. So when people come and say, you don't have to live like this anymore. I was like this once and I'm not anymore because Christ has set me free. He's not going to let that go without a fight. There's an authority challenge at that point. Jesus saw the same thing. I remember praying with a guy. I've told this story before. I was praying with a guy, and he needed massive freedom. And as we were talking, I just like to ask people, what's going on? What are you thinking? And he's like, I'm a bit embarrassed. I don't want to say. I was like, no, you can, this is a safe place. I won't tell anyone. You can, you know, this is a safe place. You can, you can, you know, we can, you can talk, share your heart. What's, what's, he's like, it's a bit awkward. I really don't want to say. I was like, no, go on. He's like, in the end, he gets there. He says, I'm thinking, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I said, um, <laughs> okay. I said, well, do you actually think I don't know what I'm doing? He said, no, no, that's a strange thing. I really think you do know what you're doing. I was like, well, you got that wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. But the reality was it wasn't even his thought. But the enemy was trying to shut him down, hold him in captive bondage to this thing by saying Simon doesn't really know what he's doing, which was true. But the reality is it didn't matter because God knows what he's doing. (laughs) And we were following the Holy Spirit. And he was the one who dramatically set him free in a few moments. But that lie was in his head. You don't know what you're doing. And it was getting it out, actually, that walked him into a place of freedom, setting people free. It's not what you say that counts. It's who says it. Who are you? It's not what you say that counts. It's who says it. Who are you? Sometimes we like to use the words, the religious words. It's not, doesn't, the words are not important in that sense. What matters is who says it. It doesn't tell us how Jesus rebuked the storm. It tells us that he rebuked it. We sometimes worry about the intricate details of the words. Forget that. It's about who you are. Who are you? You're a daughter. You're a son of the living God. You stand in that place. Who are you? You've been sent by Christ himself. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Who are you? That's who you are. And when you're bringing freedom, you've got to go on that place. Thirdly, when Jesus was challenging customs or thinking, particularly, you know, when he was healing on the Sabbath, they had this whole hang-up about healing people on the Sabbath. I don't know where it all came from, but they really got uptight about it. When Jesus was challenging thinking, he really got resistance, massive resistance. And I've seen the same. I remember a story from my workplace and the job I did previously. And the HR guy, I was sitting in a meeting with him. He was absolutely slating a guy who worked for me. And he was like just, I mean, just like a complete character assassination. I was shocked. I was thinking, if this is the HR guy, we've got no... Those are the people who are meant to believe the best in everyone and train them and develop them. This is like hopeless. And so I just asked the question. I said, Nigel, I didn't think this is who you were. I tell you what, he did not like it. He didn't speak to me for three weeks. 
He would literally blank me in the corridor. I mean, it was that bad. Why? But we, we got through it in the end. But there was a spiritual, there was a challenge. Who are you to question me? I'm the HR guy. But I was because I was calling him to something better. I didn't think this was who you were. I didn't think this was what you did. I was calling him to who he really was, and he did not like it. But actually, when we carry on uh, in that way, we bring life and freedom. The fourth thing is when, when Jesus was extending into new regions, like the story we've seen, he's moving over the other side of the sea. When he feeds the 4,000, there's a massive authority challenge straight after that as to who, who are you to do these things? And it's the same for us. As it, is, as it was for Jesus, it's likely to, to be for us. Now, you might think, this is all a bit depressing. I'm going to get challenged. The reality is, is this. How does this help us? Someone once said this, the dogs of doom always bark loudest at the door of your destiny. <laughs> it should encourage us when we're being challenged. It should, in some uh, way, we should get encouragement because the enemy leaves alone those who aren't doing much to affect his kingdom. He just leaves them alone. Why, why waste your resources? Who's he going to go after? Those who are advancing. And so as we are advancing, we should expect change. And individually and corporately, we should be actually, in a weird way, encouraged by the very obstacles that we see and the very battles that we face. Because it means we're making a difference. It means that we're doing something to impact the world around. If you face a challenge at school where it feels like everyone's against you. It feels like something. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Something's going on. It might mean you need to change. It might mean something needs to shift in your behavior. Or it might be this is just a spiritual battle for life and for influence in your school. How do we then live this out? Just lend, uh, landing. How do, we, how do we as a community... <laughs> Stand in our authority. Scripture again and again, as PJ said last week, teaches us to stand. One of the, uh, our prophetic ladies test- texted to us this morning, God would say to us as a church right now, be alert, but do not be alarmed. Worship and, do- and be overwhelmed with God and with him and not be overwhelmed with what the enemy is doing. I was reminded of Jehoshaphat who appointed worshippers who went before the army singing and declaring, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set an ambush against their enemies on their behalf. How do we stand? We're alert, but we're not alarmed. We're not naive. We're understanding that as the scriptures, the Bible tells us, we understand the schemes of the enemy but we're not alarmed by them, threatened by them, intimidated by them. In one sense, we expect them and we deal with them as they come. Firstly, I think it's about our up. You know, our first response when we face an authority challenge, when we face these things in whatever way they come, is about our up. Notice the disciples. It's fascinating to me in this story. They were experienced fishermen. This boat was going to go down, okay? It's being swamped. The waves are coming in. They knew that. They run to Jesus, who is a carpenter. Save us. I mean, what can he do? Row harder? I mean, what what can he actually do? Save us. But then, when he does the thing that they didn't think he could do, i.e. he rebukes the storm and he stills the whole thing down, they say, who is this who rebukes the storm and the waves? Doesn't that strike you as surprising? They didn't think he could do anything, and when he does it, they're surprised that he's done it, and yet they go to him anyway. These guys are confused. 
Either they should have gone to him and said, save us, and then when he did say, oh, thank you, we went for him, we're grateful that he could do that. Or they should not go to him because they didn't think he could do anything, but they go to him not thinking that he can do anything. He does it, and then they're surprised. I mean, these guys are confused. Anyone else feel like that sometimes? <laughs> I don't know what to do or which way to turn, but do you know what? In their confusion, they do the one thing that they should have done, which is what? They go to him. I imagine half of them didn't even know why they were going to him or what they thought he could do about it anyway, but they go to him, save us. That's what we should do when our authority is challenged. We go to him. We go to him. When the enemy says, who are you? Our temptation is to look inside and think, who am I? Whereas instead we should firstly look up and say, I'm not sure who I am right now, but I know who he is. I know who he is. We start first. That's our anchor, isn't it? That's our landing point. We start with who he is, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his plan for the planet which we've signed up for and know and understand. That's who we are. We are first in him. We are first linked to him. We start in that place. Again and again, we've got to come back to who he is when the enemy says, who are you? We say, well, who is he, more importantly? Who is he? Which is why worship is so important in times of crisis. You know, remember last year when, when we were, I was really battling sickness and we went through this stuff with our house and all that kind of stuff that was going on. One of the things I knew to do, and I didn't know how it was going to end up, but I knew to do is we've got, we've got to keep worshipping. We've got to keep going back to God. We've got to remind ourselves of who he is in the midst of it. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in their story. They're about to be thrown into a furnace and they say this to the king. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. I I just love that response. Because very often we know how the war ends, but we don't know how this battle is going to end. We don't know how it's going to end. But the reality is we know how the war ends and we know who we serve. And that response of defiance, which says, he might save us and he might not, but I'll tell you what, I'm not bowing to you either way. I'm going to live in faith or I'm going to die in faith, but I'm not going down any other way. I think that is such a godly response. That's such a way that we can respond in those situations. Second thing is about our in. Notice Jesus was pretty tough on the disciples. You have little faith, he says to them, in the storm. He's pretty tough on them for one reason, I believe. It's because the person who told them to cross the lake to the other side was who? Him. He had told them to cross. It's not in the account that we read, but in another account, uh, Mark's account, he tells us Jesus said to them, cross to the other side of the lake. So they already had the mandate for what they were about to do. So when the resistance comes, which they thought was physical, was actually spiritual, when that comes against them, when it comes smack into the first thing they should have thought to themselves after who is Jesus was this, what has Jesus told us to do? Because if he's told us to do it, we're going to do it no matter what happens, no matter what the battles, no matter what the resistance or the difficulty. If he's told us to do this, we are going to do this. And when we start to think like that, it changes us. Some of us, it's specific words that God has given you. You've got specific words and there's resistance and there's things that are going wrong. You think, is this ever going to go back to those words? But you know what? For all of us, we all have one word, which is true for all of us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. (laughs) We all operate under that umbrella. Jesus has all authority, so our authority is given by him to go and do what he's called us to do, to heal the sick, to set free the oppressed, to serve the poor, to preach the gospel, to go and preach the good news of the kingdom. We don't need a specific word for that. That's just our job. And we go under that place. We look in 
And then lastly, we remind ourselves that actually, sometimes faithfulness and sheer, if I can say it, bloody-minded keeping going is the thing that gets us through. It's faithfulness and bloody-mindedness. Am I allowed to say that? It might be on the edge, but... Faithfulness and... Come on, no, okay. Faithfulness... Faithfulness and sheer... We've got, this is the thing. This is a team, you see. Some people are stopping, some people are cheering on. That's the church, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to take a vote. It will take us off the subject, but it's interesting. Uh, faithfulness and sheer stubborn-heartedness. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. <laughs> I'm a man under authority, you can see right there. <laughs> us just doing what God has called us to do. Yes. Authority doesn't mean that we're superior. Authority doesn't mean that it's about our position. It's about our character. But we are called to first look up, then look in what's he asked to do, and then thirdly, just keep doing it, no matter what. This one uh, story that I was reminded of this week in a, in a meeting was uh, I don't know if you remember the, the Lion King, if you've seen that, that movie. And in the movie, there's this scene where Simba, the, the pup, the young lion cub and his friend Nala are trapped by a whole load of hyenas. And uh, they're advancing, and um, Simba, who's been taught by his father who he is and that he's going to reign over this whole land one day, kind of, kind of connects with that again in the moment, in this terrifying moment. And he, he lets out his biggest roar. <laughs> And it's just so pathetic and weak. The hyenas actually just stop laughing their heads off. They just think it's hilarious. But then they quickly regain their composure and start advancing again. So he gives it his second biggest roar. And they just keep advancing more and more intimidating and threatening. And then he goes to give his third roar. And then suddenly there's this... And everyone stops. And then the hyenas suddenly realize Mufasa has just arrived. Simba's father has just arrived. Isn't it like that with our authority? (laughs) Sometimes we just feel like our authority is so pathetic and weak, but we forget to listen for the bigger roar, the Lion of Judah, who stands behind us, who backs us up in times of difficulty. He is the one who roars. Our roar really is weak and pathetic compared to his, but he is the one who roars in us and through us, who gives us a voice to change the world, who gives us a voice to change our workplaces, our schools, the world around us, who gives us a voice to use our service, our love, with a bold and God-given authority to bring life wherever we go. He is the one. Let's not forget that in this season. Amen.